Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sea Change Podcast, your go-to show to learn about the brightest and most inspiring stewards of our shorelines. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and I am actually sitting here face-to-face with my guest today, um, which is a treat because most of my interviews to date have been conducted virtually with folks that live far away, and that's perfectly okay, but it's really refreshing to bring it back local every now and then and focus on communities that we, being the two of us, are immersed in right here in the greater Boston area. So with me today is Mateo Velez. He's the founder and executive director of Orville, which is a nonprofit organization working to raise awareness about plastic pollution and other environmental challenges in low income and underserved communities. So welcome to the show, Mateo. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me today. It's a um, pleasure to be here and being interviewed. So I know that you are all raring to hear more about Mateo's story, but we have got to take care of some housekeeping first um, and pause to hear a brief message from our sponsors. Well, I think we have three sponsors these days on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, also on Coastal News Today. And let me tell you, um, every little bit helps. And uh, so we want to thank... Uh, our first sponsor, Dune Doctors, out of Pensacola, Florida, headed by Frederick Barrasset, and they are outstanding at uh, shoreline dune restoration plantings and marsh plantings. Uh, I don't know if people know this. Frederick uh, was trained as a wine grower in France. She grew up in France, and she got her degree in So she's got that terroir going <laughs> off her uh, beach and dune So plants. she's got a great company out there in Pensacola, and you can find Frederick at dunedoctors.com. We want to thank our uh, good friends at Coastal Engineering Consultants out of Naples, Florida. Uh, And, of course, they're headed up by President Michael Poff, who's uh, not only a host on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, but an all-around great guy and superb engineer. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can learn about them at maybe the best coastal engineering website in the world, coastalengineering.com. I know. How did you get that, Michael? That was smart. And uh, our last sponsor, uh, LJA Engineering, uh, their coastal uh, engineering uh, section is headed up by Bill Worsham here in Austin, Texas. They've got 28 offices around the Gulf Coast. Uh, They do a lot of work over in East Texas shoreline in Jefferson County. But Bill Worsham, uh, a real pro, great coastal engineers. And uh, we've in our past lives worked with Bill on projects and always found him to be a great guy to to get things done absolutely and uh if you are interested in advertising with us reach out to us uh peter at coastalnewstoday.com tyler at po- coastalnewstoday.com we'd love to hear from you we've got slots open and uh we're a great platform for the coastal community and we need your support uh yep. it's it's be thanks to our sponsors that we're able to do these shows and travel around and cover our expenses and and really put a microphone in front of the the serious thinkers and policymakers along the American shoreline and bring that to you. So, Mateo, let's start out by getting to know you a little bit better. Can you talk a bit about some of the most formative moments in your life that have led you to where you are today, sitting here with me in my dining room talking (laughs) about conservation? Yes. um, So it all started when, in 2017, I had recently moved to Lynn and where I live is really close to the beach. 
I would go out on morning runs and just walk around the city. And Lynn has a problem with litter. There's not a lot of trash barrels around, and there's a tons of litter on the streets. And I, I was just ignoring it. I wasn't really paying attention to it. But I quickly, um, in 2018, I started finding out about plastic pollution, the environmental, and the, also the effect and harm it causes uh, the marine life. And then that's when I was like, okay, wait, I need to start taking action. I need to start doing something about this because it's not okay. It's causing tons of harm and it's just, it's affecting us as well. Um, and then I started simply just going online <laughs> like everybody else in this generation. <laughs> yeah, just um, educating yourself with the old Google. Exactly. That's my best <laughs> buddy right there. <laughs> and I would just read up, read up, and I saw the Chris Jordan Albatross video. And after I watched that, it was like around February 2018, I was like, okay, I need to like really do something. So is that the video, just so we can place this for listeners, where the Albatross has all of that plastic in its stomach? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And seeing how the um, baby Albatross were getting fed the plastic, thinking that it was food, and them getting so heavy that they couldn't even fly when it was time for them to fly, and just starving to death um, was the moment where it, it impacted me. Um, and the first thing that I did, I continued going on Google, but I found some organizations that I could volunteer in. Surfrider was the first one uh, here in Somerville. <laughs> and being in Lynn, that's like around 30, a 30 minute drive. Yeah. So I was going to say, actually, for um, listeners that may be unfamiliar with the Boston area, um, could you describe where Lynn is? Yep. Um, and like a little bit about what that community is like and, and what your experience is like growing up there. Yep. So um, Lynn is in, it's north of Boston. It's about, like I said, like 30, 35 minutes with good traffic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know here. It could take you 20 minutes to get somewhere or two hours. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's really, it's a coastal uh, city has about 92,000 uh, residents. Um, majority of the residents are uh, lower income. And that's where I moved to in May. I used to live in Everett. Um, Everett is a little closer to the city in Boston, but the community in Lynn is so rich with so many people from different places that I fell absolutely in love with it. And the views when the sun is rising at the beach captivated me. <laughs> um, um, so you, did you grow up in Everett then? So I, I lived in um, Revere, which is okay. also pretty close to Lynn. Um, lived there for um, some time. And Everett was where I spent the majority of my life. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. what was like? What was growing up there like? So I didn't grow up in Boston, even mm -hmm. though I live in this area now. I kind of moved all over the place with a Coast Guard family, but then I call Maine home. So I grew up north of Portland um, in more of like suburbia, rural-ish Maine. So I'm sure our, our experiences are different. Definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, growing up in Everett was great. It was close to the city, so I could just easily get into the city whenever I wanted to. Um, when I was growing up there, I would get friends from Haiti, 
Brazil, uh, El Salvador, Guatemala. It was very diverse. Um, I got to taste a lot of different foods and that was great. It really opened my mind to a lot of new things that taught me a lot of lessons um, just from seeing the different cultures. Even though we are in the United States, that pot of like the different mixes is extremely valuable and it's something that has molded me into the person that I am now. And so you mentioned that land is coastal and a lot of those other areas are coastal as well. I think Revere is on the water, right? Like yes. Revere has a beach. Um, and so what are some of like, do you have any distinct memories? I know that you mentioned the sunsets are really great out there. And I imagine that might be on like Nahant Beach that you're seeing those or did... In Kings Beach. Okay. Uh, which is yeah. And so do you have any like memories that come to mind, like of spending time on the coastline there? Yes. Um, so when I used to live in Riviera when I was younger, I would easily, um, when the, there's a middle school called Garfield, which is right next to the beach, we would get out of school, we'll cross the bridge um, because the bridge is over the train tracks, and then we'll be at the beach, and then we would swim, we'll play around. Uh, when it rained, we would be running into the little, uh, I don't know what it's called, like the little banners restaurants have or uh the like awnings yes yeah (laughs) and then we'll wait until it stopped raining and then we'll be soaked going home and then our parents will be like what were you doing (laughs) but it was a lot of fun enjoying nature (laughs) (laughs) enjoying the beach yeah (laughs) um and the i one of the things even my father um noticed this was when we or bill did its first cleanup i know i'm getting a little bit ahead was how much the Beach changed. Um, the water definitely is closer to the walls mm-hmm. um, than before. Before, so even- like when he moved here, like how much the sea level had rised, or mm-hmm. just how drastic the tide changes are. The, the sea level had rise and uh-huh. the tide changes as well. Yeah. yeah. So like he came here in 1999. Um, no, sorry, 90, 1998. We came in 99, and we're originally from Colombia. And that was the first place where we were living at. It was Revere. And the beach, definitely, um, you can definitely see changes compared to before. Uh, mm-hmm. We even have pictures where we would be on this stone um, wall. We could be sitting on it. And then you could see the water further away. And now we could be at the same location. And we can see the water so much closer um, with just less and less um, sand in between. Yeah. And I mean, this area is really one of those places that I feel like is on the forefront of sea level rise. And you see it with the amount of flooding that we're regularly experiencing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty crazy to think about. And like speaking of our love for Google, people can can Google maps of Boston before it was built up on fill. So mm-hmm. um, many people might know or maybe not that the city was is largely built on fill so um go look up a map of boston without it because so much of the area of the city just wouldn't exist without having this like man-made back bay that yeah (laughs) there are whole areas of the city that are supposed to be underwater if it was left to natural processes Mm -hmm. um and now we're starting to see those places that we built up kind of starting to become a little bit more inundated with water again. And it's like the sea is trying to like reclaim uh, what was originally um, its its territory. So there's some pretty complex challenges that we're facing up in this region. Mm-hmm. Um, but then speaking of plastic pollution, 
I am curious to hear what you've noticed about communities in and around Boston relating to their awareness of the plastic pollution problem, to throw an alliteration out there, (laughs) Um, and what their efforts are to reduce it. So, um, for example, I've seen a lot of places and around the Boston area, like for example, Boston just had its uh, plastic bag ban, which was great. Somerville has been doing that as well. Cambridge, um, and then up in the North Shore where I'm at, Salem did it. Um, also, I believe Beverly and Danvers did it as well. And Lynn is actually talking about a plastic bag ban. Um, currently, just talking about it, but. Just the fact that they are starting to talk about it is a big step forward. It's a start. Yep, it's definitely a start. And I'm super excited to see other organizations like Girls Inc., who, thanks to them in Lynn, is why we're starting to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, They were the ones that presented in front of the the mayor, in front of the um, Board of Health on Tuesday of last week. And they're getting the conversation going, and it's the youth. And that that has been amazing. It's been amazing to help out and as much as I can with them. Something that I love so much is seeing how empowered our youth are yes. right now. And yeah. they're getting things done. And I, I think it's so great to be able to partner with them and have their voices on our side and yeah. um, really pushing our leaders to, to get things done and uh, help protect our communities. And so when I was listening to you list off some of the towns and cities that have um, – past bag bans and straw bans. I feel like those are some pretty affluent areas in this region. And um, I'm kind of curious just to get your take on something that I feel like I've noticed is, you know, Boston is is frequently topping the charts of U.S. cities with the largest, you know, wealth um, inequality. And so we're seeing these like really affluent communities right next to and oftentimes moving into displacing people, developing over some of our more historically, um, you know, lower income communities, industrial areas, blue collar communities. Um, And I, I feel like like sometimes with living sustainability, sustainably, um, it's a privilege because a lot of our healthier options are come with a price tag. They do. And so I'm really happy to see you and like girls Inc and people in like our historical communities, like standing up for their own health. But like, do you have any thoughts on like that disparity and like these areas where they might be higher income or more affluent passing these bans and then pointing their finger at other communities that maybe aren't as, um, you know, high, high end as they are and, and kind of like shaming them in a way that's like, you should live this way. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it, I feel like that can be pretty frustrating. It, it is. Um, so actually at, when I learned about the plastic pollution problem, I was volunteering. And the reason why I decided to start Orvel and not just continue volunteering was because where the groups were, the volunteer groups, the places we were going to, I would look around and I was the only person who was Latino. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the people were paler. And yes, they were from those communities. I there are a couple, there's like one or two organizations uh, in around Lynn that are trying to do environmental work. 
but the people that are doing it, and I thank them for this work, um, can't relate as much as I can with mm-hmm. other Latinos or other minorities. Um, that has been something that is like what burns inside of me to really not just, okay, let me go work or volunteer for another nonprofit and just do that. Let me help the people in my own community, the people that I'm seeing that are being left behind. Mm-hmm. There's, for example, there could be a city that does a back ban, they implement it and all that, but are they really communicating with everybody? Mm-hmm. Are Is everybody or who are the people making these decisions? Right. Are they going out and asking, hey, what do you think about this? Do you support it or what are your thoughts? Uh, how can it be improved? Will it benefit you or will it actually cause more harm financially or in questions like that? Um, and that's where Orvel is trying to fill that gap in, really be able to be the bridge between um, the environmental and also the social justice part of it. Mm-hmm. Cause it's also interconnected and mm-hmm. I, I'm so appreciative of you and all of the work that you're doing. Thank I you. think it's fantastic. Um, and so this is not quite related directly to what we were just talking about, but it's something that I would really love to hear your thoughts on if you're open to it. Yeah. Um, so I know that you're involved in the faith community, um, but I also want to be mindful that religion and faith and spirituality can be very personal things for people. So we don't have to spend a ton of time on it. Um, but if you're comfortable sharing, I think it would be valuable for me and our listeners to learn about how your connection with your faith intersects with your passion for conservation. Definitely. Um, so let me start off with um, my faith has been tricky growing up. I, my parents, when I was being raised, was in a Catholic uh, community, and somewhere in between, they switched over to um, born again Christianity, and there was a time period of my life that I had I didn't want to hear anything about religion or anything that had to do with churches until 2018 as well. <laughs> well, sorry, uh, yeah, 2018 when I decided to look more into. Um, what was really behind um, religion and all of those things and beliefs. And the belief that got me was just love at the, if we, it's like an onion, if you peel everything and you get to the center, the center is love. Um, I love a lot of things, especially where I live. And I want to make sure that I take care of the community or in the land where I'm living so that not, just me and my kids, but other and further and future generations can also take care of it. Um, so that's where I guess faith will tie in. And it's just the core of it is just love. Mm-hmm. And that expression of love, I think, is so beautiful because it's driving you to take care of your community and your loved ones and make sure that we're taking care of our only planet that we have to live exactly. on. Exactly. There's no planet B. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people who probably people who know me and people who listen to the show are like, she keeps saying that. And it's like <laughs> uh, that to me, like it's everything like this is our home, people like mm-hmm. we need to take care of it. And we're not. Um, so, you know. It's that expression of love that drives so many of us um, in this conservation world and beyond to um, take care of our loved ones in the planet. Mm -hmm. And which is something that in like you just said, in the conservation world is something that ties a lot of us together. Yeah, whether we have different beliefs outside 
it comes down to love and we're like, yep, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of love, let's talk about Orvel because this is an organization that I love. I know you clearly love it (laughs) because you started it. Um, And for listeners that are interested in looking this up on our friend Google, um, it is O-R-V-E-L. And Mateo, will you give us some background on how what how did this all come to be? What's the inspiration behind it? And then what does Orville mean? Oh, <laughs> um, all right. So it came to be when I like I was saying earlier, just volunteering at the different groups and just seeing the people around me. Um, they were not like me. So, and then when I would go back home to where where I would live, I would go to the grocery store and I would see the community and I'm like, why aren't they using reusable bags? Why are they not caring as much? And that's when I decided to take it upon myself to like, okay, you know what? Let's start raising awareness here. Let's not do it somewhere else. Let's start right here uh, at the local level. I I can speak Spanish. I know a little bit of Portuguese. I'll try to communicate (laughs) with as many people as I possibly can um, and just try to like start the conversation going. At first, I only started with Instagram. I knew there was a problem and that I had to do something about it. And that's what I started doing, just doing, um, just posting pictures on Instagram and sharing it with my friends and family members as well. And then I'll have them share with their friends. And in July, that's when I launched Orvel's first website. And in September, we had Orvel's first event, which was a beach cleanup at Riviera Beach. And we had 80 volunteers. And we collected about like 3,300 um, articles of debris. And the most found item that day were tiny pieces of plastic uh, smaller than a quarter. <laughs> we did collect some data on it. <laughs> That's good. It's yes. good to be tracking all of that so we're aware because we all know that. And I shouldn't say we all know because I'm sure a lot of people don't. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it really, it's really interesting to see what, what we're finding out there. And I, mm-hmm. I think there are, are common pieces of pollution that we find, um, like cigarette butts. Yes. Rope bottle caps. <laughs> but to know that we're finding plastic that now that's starting to break down um, is concerning because mm-hmm. eventually that's going to get down to be the size of grains of sand. Yeah. We're going to start consuming it. Animals are already consuming it. I mean, it doesn't really go away. No, yeah. it's um, it's finding its way back into the system and it doesn't go away. And it leads to further health problems, which mm-hmm. is really scary. Um. So what are some projects and initiatives that you are currently working on? So um, in 2018, we got accepted into an accelerator program called Entrepreneurship for All. And we just graduated this Tuesday. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I feel like I should have like some party streamers. (laughs) Eco-friendly ones. Yeah. yeah. No balloons. No balloons. No balloons. (laughs) Um, So we graduated from there. It's been an awesome experience. Extremely helpful. I'm curious about where you would like to see Orval go in the future. I know that this is a a new endeavor, Mm -hmm. um, but it's been really great to follow along. So to give the listeners a little bit of background, I met Mateo um, at a plastics event here in Boston. So Boston has a really big, well, they have, I mean, there's a big tech community that's 
growing here. And a lot of these tech companies are starting to focus on blue tech and figuring out ways to partner with the ocean conservation community um, to collect data on the ocean, help map the ocean floor. And then in the case of this particular event at Draper Laboratories, they were talking about um, the plastic pollution problem and bringing together conservation groups and tech communities to try to brainstorm and discuss some ways that we can start addressing this issue. And Mateo and I are both very passionate about this um, and met at this event. And and so it's been really cool to stay in touch and um, follow along to see how this whole organization has um, gotten on its feet, um, which makes me really invested in seeing it succeed. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what your goals are for the future and where you would love to see it go. Definitely. Um, So I, for, I just realized that I didn't answer the previous question, which was, what does Orbelt mean? Oh, yes. <laughs> we would have ended this recording and I would have like woken up in the middle of the night and been like, no. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> when I was um, starting off um, with everything that I was doing, I wanted to make the project or the idea that I had bigger than me. Um, so what I ended up doing, instead of just calling it after my last name, which is Velez, I decided to put two last names together. That was my mother's last name, Orozco, and my father's last name, Velez. And I chopped them up, glued them together, and then I created Orvel. The reason why I did that was so that it, people can relate to it more. I wanted to since I wanted Orvel to be bigger than just me, I wanted people to easily connect with it and get this sense and the vibes of a big community that is bigger than themselves as well. Mm -hmm. And for the future, I definitely see myself and Orvel um, operating in communities similar to Lynn and other gateway communities. Um, That's where we want to be. That's where I want to take Orvel and really raise awareness in those communities and implement um, change by having discussions, um, but also backing it with data. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we're focusing more on the city cleanups and not so much on the beach cleanups, because we believe that um, cleaning it up at the beach or in the ocean is the last thing that we should be doing. We should really be studying the problem further and tracking it and stopping it at the source. Absolutely. Um, for example, Lynn has the big um, litter problem, doesn't have a lot of trash bins. We want to be able to then after the events happen and continue studying the little problem, approach the um, policymakers on how and where um, certain trash barrels can be placed and other alternatives like that as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's like all about growing stewardship in your community and awareness in your own community. But then there's a whole like citizen science aspect mm-hmm. to it that I, I think is great because we need all the science and research and data that we can get, but there's so much that limits us with capacity to do it in a formal way. And citizen science is this unbelievably valuable tool to get people out there and collecting data and reporting on what they're finding. And it's actually even harder um, for the communities that I'm trying to operate in just because not everybody is going to be uh, an English speaker. So that's one of the biggest challenges that we have right now and that we had last year at the beach cleanup. Um, some people approach me and they're like, wait, what, what am I doing with this paper? It's like, it's a data card. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to explain it, but then it's not easy anyways, because 
um, it's still in English. So it's we can easily translate it and then print, but yeah. that's going to be even more added factor. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. we're trying to figure out um, how we can solve that problem and uh, continue gathering data that is good data so that we can really uh, understand this problem. So you segued right into the next thing perfectly that I was going to ask you about, <laughs> which is, you know, things very rarely come easy. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned one challenge with the communities being multilingual. Mm-hmm. What are some other challenges that you face in achieving your goals? Some other challenges. Um, so community being multilingual, also um, multicultural. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that is when we're trying to raise awareness, we don't want to be offending anybody. And it's something that it's going to continue being a learning process um, so that we're able to effectively get our message across and get everybody on board or as many people as possible on board. And the other thing that has been a challenge too has been um, trying to raise funds. <laughs> the old funding issue. The old funding issue, yes. <laughs> If anyone has that figured out, could you please let us know? (laughs) So um, we're actually uh, right now almost um, pretty close. Uh, We've had different meetings with potential fiscal agents, and we are having one soon with one that is looking very promising, and it will be a really uh, nice partnership if it can go through. Well, I'm sending Um, you positive vibes for that meeting as well. So working in this field, especially relating to plastic pollution issues, um, for lack of a better word, can be a bit of a downer. It can be kind of a tough field to work in. Definitely. (laughs) Um, But sometimes you get these wins and they can be large or small. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, can you share, like, what are some of the most rewarding things about the work that you're doing? One of the most rewarding things is... Getting messages on social media or even just getting approached by people that saw a post or heard about what I'm doing and them saying, hey, thanks to you because I met you or because I know what Orvel is doing. I'm now conscious about what I'm buying at the grocery store or how I'm drinking my water. Mm -hmm. Just hearing that from somebody that 30 seconds ago or a minute ago or like a week ago knew nothing and was just going on with their day, like nothing's going on, um, and learning about plastic pollution and then acting on it, like, okay, now I'm gonna go buy a reusable water bottle or I'm gonna get a reusable grocery bag. And it's just like a small change like that. Mm-hmm. That to me is the best feeling. It's the greatest thing. And the most rewarding thing that I get from Orvel is those little wins. It's yeah. not the big, like, yes, those are fun, but yeah. it's the little things, the little changes that I see people make that really keep me going. Yeah. Um, because that's really what's going to make the biggest difference and the biggest impact. Yeah, I agree. Um, we can do a whole bunch of bands and we can also get a lot of people angry. <laughs> you know? But it's that behavior change that you need and, and celebrating those small wins and those step forwards because those big wins are hard to come by and they're pretty rare. They're mm-hmm. amazing when they happen. Yeah. But it's like those little wins that I feel like keep, That's what keeps keep you going. me going, keep you going. Yeah. Um, and I, I've explained that before. I actually had somebody stand up at a, I was presenting at a conference once and someone in the audience stood up. And I thought she was going to ask, well, she did ask a question, but she was like, how are you so happy 
doing the work that you do because it sounds so <laughs> depressing and you're faced with all of these seemingly insurmountable problems. And that was exactly my answer is that you, you find these small wins. And when you start to see, okay, someone's now aware of this, mm-hmm. somebody's talking about this where they never did before they're taking the time to learn about it. And then at the end, the goal is the behavior change. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And that's why I also think it's so important to get the message across with the youth when I look at the youth, I see so much potential and so much power in them where when if you can get them, you're not only getting one person, you're getting them and their parents, their brothers, um, all sisters, their friends. all their friends, yeah. because they're going to be, hey, I learned about this. And then they're going to start talking and spreading the word. Yep. And so now I'm sure that after hearing this conversation, um, our listeners are going to want to look you up and connect <laughs> with you and get involved with your initiatives. Yep. So how can they do that? So you can definitely, um, there's a couple options. You can visit our website at orvel.org. That's O-R-V-E-L.org. You can follow us on Instagram at go orvel. And you can also like us on Facebook at the original orvel. Is there another orvel on Facebook? Yes. There's a band <laughs> I don't even know where. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Maybe you can get them to play at one of your events. <laughs> hey, <laughs> if I can understand what they're saying. Oh, then, oh are they like a, like they're a like metal Eastern, band? They're like Eastern European. Oh, so, I was not expecting that. Yes, me neither. <laughs> it was so funny because I got a shout out. Um, to like two, Well, Orville got a shout out like two weeks ago and they tagged them. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> that happens to me all the time uh, with my personal account, which I'll like share my information in a second for people who want to find me but there's another um yana bena on twitter and instagram but we are sort of flipped with our spelling because one of us was the original on twitter and one of us was the original on instagram and so we get tagged all the time um in each other's stuff and i feel like i've developed this like relationship (laughs) with this stranger um, virtual (laughs) we've just become virtually intertwined Um, so before we wrap up I always love to end on a more positive or uplifting note and um, by giving you an opportunity to share what you're hopeful for moving forward and then any words of wisdom or advice that you have for listeners definitely Um, so words of advice start small Um, even though you might think that there's like this huge problem or anything, a big obstacle that is in front of you that's stopping you, um, just start chipping away at it. Just start small and then it'll eventually um, come down or you'll eventually overcome it. Um, Other things that I can say is I'm extremely grateful that I'm here today being interviewed, um, sharing what I'm doing and what I'm passionate about. And, just continue moving forward and hopefully you guys can see an Orville event near your place or in your town, your city. Um, definitely reach out to us. We'll be happy to um, interact online and hopefully in person as well when the time comes. Absolutely. And I mean, even if you're up visiting Boston and want to get out on the beach or the shore, there may be some sort of opportunity to do that through Orville. So follow along, connect with Mateo. Um, 
And I would like to return that gratitude. Thank you so much for being here with me today um, and sharing your story with me and our listeners and for everything that you're doing. Um, And I also would like to thank the listeners for tuning in. Um, And if you like what you heard and want to hear more um, from either this show or get some other outstanding content from my fellow hosts on this network, please subscribe to and rate and review the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today on Facebook. Follow at Coastal News 365 on Twitter because this is where you can interact with us and submit feedback on our shows or give recommendations for inspiring people for me to invite on as guests. And if you would like to interact with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Yenna Benna. That's Y-E-N-N-A-B-E-N-N-A. And on Instagram, it is also at Yenna Benna, but the Yenna has three N's. Um, I welcome you to find me on those platforms and have a conversation about this show and ocean issues. Thank you all again for tuning in and I will catch you next time.